Stephen asked to do Immigrant Song, which the band kicked into, and Stephen did not know the words. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, this is Party Like a Rockstar podcast, and I'm your host, Joel. Today's episode is brought to you by Misha's Kind Foods. They're an LA-based small business making the world's finest non-dairy cheese on the market today. They're lactose-free, paleo, keto, kosher, perev, and 100% vegan. If you like what you see, check out the next video. If you like this video, please subscribe and like by clicking the little round button on the bottom right. To learn more about me or our other guests on the show, go to joelrody.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. The handle is Joel Rohde. If you haven't already read my book, Memoir of a Rohde, it's now available through Amazon and paperback Kindle or as an audiobook. I hope you enjoy the show. The last time I, I saw Toby was about three to five years ago when he played in Boston at the Garden. Oh, okay. And he, was, he was mixing for Katy Perry. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, can you hear and- us, Toby? Toby's yeah, here, yeah. okay. Toby's he he's he doesn't really know it, but he's been one of my mentors <laughs> since my very early days in the music business. Oh, cool. Uh, oh, two seconds, Mark. Hold, hold oh, the thought, I guess is a better way to say it. But uh, Toby, to turn on your camera, uh, bottom left, there's a little uh, camera icon. Oh, there we go. Sorry cool. about that. Hey, there we go. Now we, now we can see his reaction when you say all these nice things about him. <laughs> well, it's it's true. Um, I've been closet picking Toby's brains for years, and every time he would put up a new photo of a rig he was working on, I would spend days looking <laughs> to see what he had in the racks, looking to see what he what board he was using then i'd have to look up the specs for that board to see what it had and why told you know i'm trying to put together the pieces gee i wonder why he picked this rack or i wonder why he picked this board or how come do these things actually all jive together and so yeah (laughs) oh good there you go toby so i'll introduce you guys and then we can get going <clears throat> Sorry, hold on two secs. My girlfriend gave me pizza. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Loadout food. Oh god. I, you know, I can't I don't like it. I'm so sick of pizza now. So whenever anybody has pizza, I'm like, oh like, how could you not like pizza? It's an American. I'm like, you don't get it. You don't forget it. Don't <laughs> anyway. Toby Francis is a sound guy. He's mixed Aerosmith, ZZ Top. I heard the bass player is a tough guy to deal with there. <laughs> He's a very, very difficult. Kiss, Audio Slave, Jane's Addiction, Guns N' Roses, Katy Perry, Kanye West, Travis Scott, Justin Bieber, and the Mars Volta, Ariana Grande, just to name a few. My second guest is Mark Bloom. His face has been seen in various roles in the industry. He's mixed bands such as Motorhead and the Blue Man Group. He was a forklift operator out of the old Foxborough Stadium for such bands as U2. He's now a production runner for a number of venues in Boston and Rhode Island. So my first question here is, 
Mark, why do you want to talk to either one of us jackasses? <laughs> you have to deal with guys like us all the time. What the hell do you want to deal with us on your off hours? It's pick and choose your battles. Uh-huh. Um, I learned very young in the business, be nice to everybody, because the same people you meet on the way up, you're going to meet on the way down. Yeah. Are we on the so, way down? <laughs> uh, no, I'm I'm in limbo right now. I'm I'm caught between. Do I just say okay, it's time to retire? Yeah. Or do I say okay, move south because living in Massachusetts is too damn cold, as as Toby knows oh so well, which is why I think he beat feet out to the west coast. As I live, soon as I live in the desert. Yeah. Oh, do you? <laughs> it's soon oh, as yeah. an opportunity arose. Yep. And um, do I, you know, head south and find a, a venue that I can still, you know, put in 20, 30 hours a week mixing bands and doing what I what I love to do in an in an industry that uh, it's been very good to me. I hope I've given back to it in some shape, manner, or form. Well, you've been a well, long time. I think it's I think it's safe to say you. What is it? 1982. I think you said you started. I started in 1982 with a band called The Lines, which okay. was a local Boston band. Toby's smiling because he knows the backstory to all of this. Oh, okay. And um, I started as their That's roadie. A good band too. And uh, at the time, their manager was. Um, very very influential in, in getting Aerosmith back together again um, for the Back of the Saddle tour, which they were rehearsing in a, it's no longer in existence. It was a movie theater that we revamped to be an all-age dance club. Um, the local kids would come around and is that Aerosmith and me being in there watching uh, the Lions band equipment, making sure nobody broke in the building. And Aerosmiths. I, oh, no, it's an Aerosmith cover band. It's an Ar- But if they bothered to look out behind the theater, they'd see the Lambo and the limo and, you know. <laughs> that guy sure does look like Steven Tyler. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was the beginning. And it, it was the school of hard knocks. Um, and uh, learning lighting, learning sound, learning stage production and management. Uh-huh. Um, for them, I went on doing stage manager and monitor engineer, and um, things just progressed from there. Well, uh, like I said, it was the school of hard knocks, and at 50 years of age, I decided to go back to school, um, to Emerson, to get my degree oh, cool. in television and film production. Oh, come on, the dark next. side, the dark side. Uh, yeah, I hear, oh, I hear from the videos, I hear from the sound I wanted to have the total package. I wanted to be that production manager that knew both sides of the coin. Okay. Yeah, because we're pretty mean to, to film guys in general. I don't know. I don't know how no it is guys, anymore, but no when guys, I was out there, we were pretty brutal. Video videos can go sit out in the parking lot and wait till we're done. We'll call them in when we need Oh, them. okay. You came back to the good side. You can all right, all right. <laughs> but they have their place especially in these larger venues where the people sitting up in the really cheap seats that rattle the jewelry, as John Lennon would have put it, um, 
they want to be able to see the expression on the performance. <laughs> yeah. I know with Toby, the last time the expressions are not always see, smiles. <laughs> I got to see Toby face to face and the amount of production he was working on Katy Perry. Yeah. At the time. And uh, I'm glad I got to spend the few minutes I did with him. But the amount of production that was put into that hour and 45 minutes, two hours, um, was incredible. And the only one that wasn't breaking a sweat was Toby Francis. (laughs) Toby was ready to go to work. And I miss Toby by 24 hours, there was a movie that just came out. Don't look up. I don't know if you've seen it yet, Toby. Um, of which a lot of friends picked my brains about the scene that you did the audio for. Well, the, the monitors for her, for Ariana Grande. And it was 24 hours. Tony, I was on set on this production, working on this production in a video aspect. Um protecting people from COVID. And I missed Toby by 24 hours. He came in, boom, did his thing, and boom, right back to the West Coast. Uh, well, I, I came in in quarantine for eight days. You did? Yeah. They made you quarantine? Uh, because I was around the talent. I had to yeah. quarantine for eight days. Huh. I, I, I couldn't, come, I couldn't believe the quarantine. Every day. Well, you know what? No, no one got sick. They they pulled it off. No one got sick, and because uh, if you shut something like that down for ten days because a principal's sick, it, it it's a lot of money. Heck yeah, you know. Ah, for real. Uh, no, I try. I tried to watch the movie, and, and I have a hard time watching movies. I I fall asleep. Um, I've been that way for years. Uh, even that movie, I fell asleep and uh, I wanted to hear because she was singing live that was the whole point of me being there they wanted her to sing live and uh, so she insisted that I come and um, Andre Bauman the playback guy uh, came and we both sat in hotels for eight days they gave us separate rental cars there was all these protocols (laughs) Uh, uh, we had to get tested every day and yeah. <laughs> and sit, sit, sit in the car for 45 minutes till the results came back and yeah. um, but, and I was mixing monitors which I don't normally do because Ari's normal monitor engineer did not want to uh, fly up there during COVID um, I remember you taking some heat from some of the other engineers out there going omg toby's been reduced to a monitor engineer <laughs> I'll, I'll do whatever they tell me i i'm so um thrilled that anyone will hire me <laughs> at my age <laughs> to do anything I'm, I'm okay so to take a step back then so how did you get going what, what was your uh is your brother older or yeah he's your younger brother isn't he he's two years younger so what got you going in the industry? It wasn't him then, because you're older. Okay. Um, I started working for a local band in Lexington, Kentucky, when I was 16 years old. Oh, you were young. Uh, yeah. I, I um, Band security? 
No, uh, actually, we, we loaded the gear. There was a local band that had um, a three-way stereo PA, which was rare in 1974. Uh, they had a, a Tascam studio console that they had adapted to go on the road. So they had extraordinary gear for that period. Um, it was several years later and several bands later before I had that good gear again. Um, but I started working for them and one of the horn players, it was a 10-piece band. They had uh, two lead singers, a rhythm section, and then a four-piece horn section. And one of the horn players got a, a gig with the Crystals. It was a, a Phil Spector band, but it was 10, 12 years later. Uh, they were doing uh, what they called the show band circuit or the dinner circuit. You would play dinner theaters. Uh, the band would play a dinner set, which was all like jazz. Uh, it was a badass band, actually. They were all killer players. So they'd do a jazz set. Then we would do the show set that the, the crystals would come out and do their, their thing. And then we did a dance set after. Uh, and they would do uh, five nights in a row. And then we'd pack up Sunday and move someplace else. And you're 16 up. years old? Well, I was 16 with the first band. When I started with the Crystals, I was 17. Oh, so you uh, were with it. Oh, so you, you went with the horn player onto the Crystals. So <laughs> yeah, you, were you hanging out with Phil Spector? No, Phil Spector had really screwed them over uh, viciously. Uh, that what I like to say is before Phil was killing women, he was robbing women. Uh, he screwed them every way you could screw an artist. So here was three very bitter. Well, it's actually only one of the girls was original. The other two girls had been with the act for six or eight years at that point. But uh, they, Phil made all the money. You know, they, yeah. they were promised for years it was going to, the big payday was coming and it never came. And uh, Dee Dee, I can't remember her last name. Uh, it was the second band I worked for. And I, literally, I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, one of the girls kind of took me under her wing um, and basically had kind of a very realistic but cynical view of the entertainment business. Mm -hmm. she, she had done movie stuff. She had done music and uh, really talented. Just that's where she had landed so we were uh and she liked to smoke pot so we were pot smoking buddies yeah, um, and she was probably in her 40s early 40s uh that was a little puppy that followed her <laughs> around and uh and that we went to boston and uh we played at the uh, casino uh in hampton beach club and, casino. yeah the club casino um which was my first time in, in New England. And uh, I liked it. Um, I met a girl up there. Uh, when I quit working for the band a year or so later, I moved up there and there was tons of bands. The, the drinking age was still 18. We had all the different colleges in Boston. Uh, you had uh, eight or 10 clubs that had like really good, bands playing original material that would you know circle around and then around Boston 
you had like up in Hampton Beach, you had the casino in Rhode Island. You had the living room uh, in Boston. Boston. The channel, the channel, the paradise, the rat, um, bun ratties. Yep, buns. Uh, um, So there was a really strong music scene and you could make a living working for for local bands living there. And at that point. So you you were commuting back to mom and dad's house every time? me yeah if you're doing five gigs a week with them but you're still a kid did you have your own place or were you going back to your parents place no we were on the road we i left and did it for two years so you left high Uh, school early i graduated high school when i was 16 oh interesting okay something similar toby um one of prior to the lines i worked with a seven-piece show band called uh, Max Mob. Oh yeah, yeah. I cut my teeth on them and hung out with Saggy, who was the keyboard player, trumpet yep. player, yep. who went on to own Club Casino Hampton Beach. Right. And when I came in there with the lines and saw Saggy, it was like old home week. And yeah, Mike. Mike Greeley, their bass player. He was a real good friend of mine. He's still a good friend of mine. Yep, I know Mike. Yeah. And and uh, what's next? Steve Harrington, who was their guitar player, who went on to do the guitar tracks for Ram Jam's Black Betty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. And that, the, the sound guy, uh, Rick Submergent, the yep. guy that makes Max Mob, he was the first sound engineer I worked with that made it sound beyond what everybody else did. He had uh, some really good gear. He really knew his craft. Uh, he helped me immensely raise my uh, skill level. Uh, we're, we're still friends too. I still talk to him all the time. The, um, my, my awakening was a local band that I was mixing. Uh, the lead singer happened to beat the manager of the channel in pool once a week. And the uh-huh. payoff was we would get to open for national touring acts. Oh. <laughs> and it was the first time that I'd ever seen a mixing console that size and a process rack with enough toys in there. And I forget who the who the very first I was I, I want to say it was either Devo or Meatloaf that we were opening for. I was shitting my pants. Very different kind of act. <laughs> yeah, and and you know we the, the band was a cover band, but they had a couple of originals, and yeah. I made them sound good on their rehearsal system. And they went, "Yo, we want you, Mark." And I did the, the the drum sounds. It took me about 20 minutes because I knew the drummer very well and knew what his kit was supposed to sound like. And the engineer for the opening act, I, I forget his name, God, came up to me. Nobody says, cares about the sound guys. You see that? He says, how long have you been doing this? And I went, not that long. And I've never gone to school for it. And I'm flying by the seat of my pants. And he looked at me and went, just keep doing what you're doing because you're learning. And that's when 
I started looking out around at other local sound engineers like Toby. Um, uh, what's his name? From uh, downstairs at the Middle East. Um, we're having a brain fart, as we often do at our age. Okay. <laughs> um, just some really good engineers, uh, including the, the sound engineer from the lines who taught me some basics. We were also privileged to doing all the BCM free lunches at the Metro for WBCN. Um, and I learned, okay, you come in at six o'clock in the morning, you set up really early, and then you break it down and go away and go do a lines gig. But it was that interim of little things like making sure the snake is running in the right direction. Um, <laughs> it's important, and, huh? <laughs> well, you know, and pins to power and things of that nature. And all the things that you learn growing up in this industry that they'll teach you in school for a great deal of money. Yeah. And I'm a hands-on type of person. I learn by doing. So watching people wire racks, uh, the process gear, um, setting up chains on the individual channels. It's just, it, at first it was mind boggling. And then I kind of took a cue <laughs> from Toby uh, later on in life of just relax, take a deep breath. It'll all come together. So Toby. Yeah. There you go. It's funny. There you go. Uh, no, I'm, I'm still learning. I approach this that I'm still learning. I try new shit all the time. Um, I use different consoles all the time. Uh, I'm not married to any piece of gear or, or uh, I mean, I've kind of got my way of doing things, but the, the gear is not that. I don't care that much about the microphones. I've got microphones that I would prefer to have, but if the monitor guy likes something else, we'll use that. I, I don't usually care that much. It, capturing certain things, there's some stuff that works better. I, I'll suggest that. If, if nobody wants to do that, that's, that's okay too. I was going to um, ask you, do they let you, does the individual artist leave it up to you? to pick like the desks and the speakers, the cabinets that you want to use or. Yeah. Excellent. No, it's, I, I'll usually get a phone call. It starts with a stranger calling me or a friend calling and ask me if I'm interested in something we'll poke around a little bit. Uh, if I'm going into an existing situation uh, I do it in a casual manner, you know, um, almost to the point, I think that it, God, there was, uh, I, I worked for uh, one of the ASOF companies for a while, and they would just send me on different stuff, because I don't really care that much what type of music I'm mixing, what band it is, Um Unless I don't like someone in that band, but there's only a couple people I really like. Um, I mean, I do this for the money primarily. I enjoy the craft. If it's my favorite band in the world, two months later, it's not going to be. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. Um, 
I was in uh, Home Depot last year and, and in 40 minutes of being in there, every song they played on the PA, I had mixed live. Uh, and there was one I couldn't even I couldn't remember the band or the name of it till later that day it, it hit me. It was that band Hoobastank. Yeah, had a song called The Reason, which it's a great band. One of, actually yep. one of my favorite. And I couldn't remember it of all names. You think I'd remember that? But um, and I, I I memorize things. I don't use notes. Most people I found use notes. It doesn't work well for me. It it. It's uh, I'm better if I just immerse myself in it and learn everything there is. Uh, the, the project I'm doing now, we're changing consoles. We started rehearsals a month ago, uh, doing it one way, and we pulled all the gear back out. And one guy's keeping his desk, the, the other, uh, and there's four mixers on this tour. There's uh, it's an odd situation, and we're changing everything from top to bottom. I'm going to use an analog console, uh, not a digital console. Um, which I, don't I, like the, I don't like the digi consoles because it's too much search time for me looking for where everything is. All the little um, screens that come up and... Well, it's... I, I order my food off an app on my phone. Um, <laughs> If I go somewhere, I buy the plane ticket off an app. If I need to be taken somewhere, Uber takes me. Um, digital consoles is kind of like that. You're, if you're, um, I know how to order Uber Eats because I get hungry a lot. So I've got that shit down. <laughs> you know, um, some, some of the digital consoles I'm really fast on. Some of them I'm less fast. I've, Done shows on consoles that I'd never used before, uh, just because it was it was there, or the situation. Uh, I went to visit the Justin Bieber tour in, in Tokyo. It was, a, it was a totally unrelated thing, and Pooch got sick, couldn't do the show, and uh, I had to mix his show, not knowing. I mean, I. I relying on others to make sure I had the right song up on the, the snapshots and just kind of winged it. And uh, everybody was was surprisingly happy after. Um, I didn't have time to get nervous. It happened so fast. You know, I, I this weekend covered a private show for uh, somebody who was a COVID I've done that a few times now, covered, uh, I did a Miley Cyrus show for Paul Hager because of a COVID situation. You mentioned Devo earlier. I got to mix Devo this year. Which They're was, such a fun band to work with. Oh, I, it's probably the high point of, of the last five years <laughs> for me. Um, they were awesome. They, they, were, they couldn't have been nicer. They couldn't have been more fun. Uh, they still act like a, a new band, a young band. They, they bicker, and uh, it was really an honor to be in the room with them while they, they did. I mean, when Paul called me, he goes, what, what do you want to get paid? And I go, I don't care. I just want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good game. 
but God, it was hard though. There were so many cues, so many uh, echo cues you had to learn that are stuff that's parts of the songs. And um, I got to mix Body Count oh, recently, I love which, which I, I love. Yeah, yeah. Um, just a fluke. Actually, the night I did uh, Devo, I got to do Body Count too. Um, wow. <laughs> Two shows in one, right? Yeah, two bands I wanted to mix in one night. So they had on the same bill. It was it was Body Count and D- it was it was Riot Fest. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So it's a radio show. Uh, it's a big festival in Chicago. It's like eighty thousand, ninety thousand people, mm-hmm. multiple stages. On your current project, Toby, will you be coming to Massachusetts? We will. I believe we will be in Fenway Park uh, this summer, late summer. Excellent. Excellent. Um, I'm going to try and make sure I get in, get over there. Um, I I have <laughs> incentive. I'm ready. I'm ready for a production meeting, as we oh, used to awesome. call them. And um, I, I I have video of you, and I don't know if you know you were too much into the show. I sat there for a good hour 45 minutes to an hour watching you mix <laughs> and which is kind of like watching paint dry is it, you know yeah because i mean i see some engineers <laughs> they're all they're all over the desk and you're just making very subtle light and i don't know if the audience hears it i i know i'm very protective of my ears um, yeah, me, me too. And, and I, I totally understand it. I get it. Um, but there are just su- very subtle nuances that you would hear in the instrumentation that Toby was making over that course of time. And it was just like, wow. I wouldn't well, have picked the, that up. <laughs> the, the new PAs, you hear subtleties that you never used to used to hear. <clears throat> I mean, I'm I'm shocked that it just it gets better and better. Every new revision of of like the physical design of the speakers, the components, the amplifiers, the control, the uh, and most of the tours I do uh, or have done lately, with the exception of Kanye West, are very scripted and very. Um, it has to be a certain way. So so I've programmed. Stuff in, and I I use with pop shows a lot of snapshots. Uh, excuse me. Uh, the the show that Katie's doing in Vegas, there's I think around two hundred and fifty snapshots, but some of them are used multiple times. I think there's around five hundred event cues that happen. That shows to time code, so it uh, it kind of for the most part mixes itself. I'm I'm going to go back and start the first week of the next run, and then I'm going to drop out of that and uh, switch to this other thing I've been doing. So I love it when you post pictures of you and Gwen on vacation <laughs> and the various, <coughs> various places you choose to vacation. Was it? I think well, you were I, in Hawaii, right? I think I saw that too. Yeah, we, we were in Hawaii till a few days ago, but that was a makeup trip. I had gone 
in October and uh, Kanye became active while we were there and I uh, wasn't very attentive. <laughs> oh, bummer when that happens. So we, we booked uh, a makeup. We booked two more weeks to come back and, and uh, do a do-over. And then my schedule changed and I couldn't go. Uh, Gwen went for 17 days. I think I was there for eight days. Yeah, um, a little bit of a break, hopefully. Well, I, I have multiple clients, multiple um, entanglements, I like to call them. Um, You're a wanted man. Very <laughs> well, and and I work for Claire, and the the company's very busy. It's expanding. There's a lot of a lot of stuff going on there. Um, it, it's been, especially the LA shop, has been the busiest in its history. Is there any talk uh, about that, demoting uh, Frank Scrambolone yet, or <laughs> demoting him? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I really want to go see his show in Vegas. Uh, because we, we were using that, Elisa, it's an immersive PA, and Frank just started using it. I used it. What's his uh, show in LA? Then. I don't know. Who's he out with? I, I don't know. He's doing Luke Bryan. Oh, okay. Uh, he's done that before, I think. He's done it for, for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think three or four years, though. Yeah. Uh, but they're, they're doing a residency. Katy Perry's doing a residency. Carrie Underwood, Celine Dion was supposed to be part of it. I think she'll start next year. Uh, Katie's shows is amazing. It's visually, uh, the, the whole thing is it's pretty spectacular. Uh, but the sound is mixed in an immersive format. So you have seven front channels, seven rear channels. It's just kind of like surround mixing uh for a live concert um so to switch gears to bring it back in the day in the day we were talking big shows what are some of the small kooky venues that you've done through the years that you guys are uh memorable in 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 being a nightmare or odd or so uh cosmo wilson uh, brought up russian wedding i believe it was cosmo and you know kooky stories do you have anything that comes to mind that are fun uh Go ahead, to, no, go ahead, Toby. Yeah, Aerosmith did the Marquee Club in London. We did a surprise show there with uh, Jimmy Page sitting in for most of the show. Um, That's fun. That was fun. Katie played at... Did he leave uh, the show because he didn't like it? <laughs> who? He said Jimmy? Jimmy Page watched most of the show. And I hope he didn't leave. <laughs> no, he played. He played oh, for most of Oh, that's of the even show. cooler. That's really yeah. neat. <laughs> they said it. It was funny. And Stephen, Stephen asked to do Immigrant Song, which the band kicked into. And Stephen did not know the words. <laughs> 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 it, it was hilarious. I have, a tape, there. <laughs> I have a tape of that somewhere. I've, I've been looking for it lately. I have a dat tape of uh, of that. That's great. <laughs> I, I the cha- the channel was fun to do shows in. The channel was awesome for load in and load out. The um, the paradise was a great place to see shows. It was a great place to do shows. Uh, I've got hummingbirds swarming around me here. Fun Rally's uh, was a terrible load in. Well, and it sounded horrible. That was my <laughs> least favorite 
place to mix at. Um, God, where else? How about uh, the Orpheum? Well, the problem with the Orpheum was you couldn't really cover the upstairs very well with the PAs back then. Now with the newer stuff, you can, and I think they have a PA in there now, don't they? Uh, I haven't been in there in a little... while, but I think they may have put in a, a different house system. Yeah, it was, that was, it was according to what PA you had when you played there or, or when we, uh, like with Aerosmith, we were using Shoko's, the, the stuff before Prism, these big refrigerator sized boxes and just to stack enough up and angle it back to hit the the upstairs was was difficult. I wasn't mixing back then. I was a guitar tech, uh, I so I yeah I I quit the, the first Joe Perry tour. I did uh, Joe's guitar tech at the time was a guy named Fred Rothmel, okay. and Fred Fred got sick and had to go home. And um, Rick Samurgeon was the tour manager, and he was, you know, a good sound man. We were talking about Max Mob. So for that show, we switched things around, and I covered the guitars and monitors, um, and Rick mixed front of house. And after the show, Joe thought it was better. He thought that his guitar and and Fred was more of a drug dealer than a guitar tech uh, and I think that when Fred left things got better in that way too that's, you know, that's something you know, that I've noticed lately here in Massachusetts being a production runner um, mm -hmm. where they've relaxed the marijuana laws it's invariable that some at some point during the day somebody along my half of production will pull me aside and go, hey, um, is there a dispensary around here? And do you have an MMJ card so you can go maybe pick me up something? <laughs> Times have changed. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, and I, my first answer to them is, well, where are you going to after you leave here? And if they tell me we're crossing the border, into yeah. Canada, I say, I'm sorry, if I get you anything, it has to be gone before you leave the premises here tonight. Yeah, the Canadians don't care that much anymore. No. <laughs> what? All, it, gets all me, that it gets me out of running around aimlessly looking for certain things that people want. <laughs> the truth comes which, out. The truth which, comes out. <laughs> I, I look at being a production. Have they, ever given you the, have they ever given you the weed back and said it's not good enough? No, never. Okay. Um, <laughs> I look at the being a production runner is tantamount to a um, a treasure hunt. Uh -huh. You're given a list of things that people want, and they wanted them yesterday. Mm -hmm. And if you don't come back, you're going to feel their wrath in full. You know that Bloom is a nutrient company for weed, right? Yes, I do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it do it doesn't really help. When the sneakers that I'm wearing have these giant pot leaves on them okay. that I have to buy <laughs> online on on Facebook, um, just because 
they were made out of real leather and they were comfortable and uh, I approved their design. Yeah. It's to be but made out of hemp. It still goes back to, I think, me cutting my initial teeth about being fascinated with light and sound as a young child. You know, my brother had a couple of garage bands and just sitting there, I, I, I look back, sitting there looking at the at the little red LED on the Marshall lamps and then learning, okay, well, it's just a mishmash of sound. Yeah. And to differentiate, I wanted to be the one that controlled the highs, the mids, the lows, the everything. I wasn't satisfied. And when I, when I actually got out into the industry, like so with the lines, max mob, and started learning the hows, twos, and the whys. And then went back to school because it was audio and video production. It wasn't just all video. Um, there was music, uh, music classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of my professors uh, is part of um, Hey Audio Student and uh, John Krivick. And he looked at me because he made us fill out cards saying, you know, what do you do for a living? You know, why are you here? And he looked at my list of credentials and why are you here? I said, because I know how things work, but I don't know why they work the way they do and what else can they work with well together. I, I need some, some information. So that was justifiable for letting me stay in class. Yeah, good. Do you ever have any bands when you were a kid with your brother, Toby? No. He had... Um, I left early. When I left, he started working for the same band I had been working for. Um, oh. And then... So you went uh, on the road with the Crystals. Her name, by the way, it's Dee Dee Kennebrew. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you left to go with her, and he took your place in her band. Or the, yeah, the one he was... In. He was two years younger, so he was 15 when he started with them as well. And, Did he leave high school uh, early too then? Uh, or well, is 16 when you were supposed early. to leave? I think he quit, uh, if I remember right. I can't, um, I can't remember. Um, Doesn't matter. I think he quit, though. Um, and then he came to Boston. After I'd lived up there for about two years, he moved up. And uh, actually lived with me for a while. And then he started working, I think, with the Stompers. Uh, was one of the first bands he worked for up there. Mm. Yeah. And then uh, he kind of made the rounds. And then he also worked with the Joe Perry Project. Um, and then that led into Aerosmith. But at, right before the Aerosmith thing, like the reunion happened, he got a gig with Steve Vai oh, uh, when Steve was, was in Alcatraz, uh, which is one of the first things Steve did after he played with Zappa. And um, so he moved to L.A., did that for a couple of years, then came back with Aerosmith. Um, he took my place. When I moved out to mix front of house, um, which was a weird 
uh, we, we stopped the 86 tour early and Night Bob had been mixing that tour and Ted Nugent was opening and Night Bob had stayed with Ted mm-hmm. and, and they had uh, gone on and, and finished their U.S. tour. And I believe they had gone to Europe and then Aerosmith decided to do two more shows, mainly, mainly to generate some money. Um, was Rocco Reedy on that tour? This was before Rocco. Rocco came in on permanent vacation. He did permanent vacation in Palm. So he told me that they made everybody go through rehab on that tour. Everybody. Mm, yeah, not really. Well, the, the 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 band employed. There was four of us that worked year round. And we had to do this codependency program. Um, I mean, we were paid tour salary while we were there. Yeah. Um, we were paid to go there, and, and we were told it was to help us. Uh, Tim Collins, who was managing them at the time, was uh, very determined to, to clean them up. Or, or honestly, uh, Tim saved their lives some of them yeah uh, in reality because it was um in 85 we were recording in the warehouse and i thought steven was overdosing uh he may have been it 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 he stopped breathing for a few minutes uh a few minutes minute minute and a half enough that it scared the living daylights out of me um i threatened to quit you know, if something didn't change, I didn't like it. I was there with him alone and I didn't know what to do. I had seen Joe overdose before and it's, it's a horrifying thing to see the experience. And if you like the person, it's really heart wrenching because you're, you're scared you're going to lose them. You don't know what to do. Yeah. You know, it's a helpless feeling. Uh, Stephen went into rehab uh, right after, and we weren't getting anything done. We had been in there for three months, and we had nothing usable. Nothing came out of that. Uh, they were paranoid because they had been uh, had bad uh, business dealings with with several record labels, management companies over the years. Um, and I truly believe Tim was was trying really hard to to save them and and get everybody wealthy again because they weren't. When I mm. started working for them, they were. Uh, I think Tom Hamilton's family has a lot of money, so he's always had money. The other guys were struggling. You know, they hadn't had a hit in years. Um, Joe had not made money outside of Aerosmith. Aerosmith had made very little money when Joe and Brad were gone. Um, The band was put back together largely out of necessity and realization that that was the best thing for everyone. Because it it did really well right right away. And, And it wasn't very good. You know, when we first started back, they were not... Everyone was still using. Uh, some people were u- 
using stuff that made them go up and some people use stuff that made them go down, which doesn't lead it lend itself to a good sounding band when that when it happens like that. Um Toby, did did you mix for them uh on the nineteen eighty two, the uh back in the saddle tour? No, that was uh, oh that was eighty four. That was Night Bob. Because I I, yeah. I that that was the lines had four shows up in New Hampshire. I believe it was the State Theater. Um, yeah, in Concord. In Concord. Yeah. And that's where I first met Bob. And he was like, what do you do for the band? I said, I'm their stage manager, monitor engineer. All right. Nice to meet you. Bye. <laughs> Is that which, which, which Bob? Night Bob. Oh, Bob Dowd. Um, well, well, Bob Dowd is was the tour manager. Uh, uh, Night Bob, Bob Sikowski is Sikowski. Night Bob's real name. Right. Uh, yeah, two polar opposites. Uh, Night Bob's been in the industry since the early 70s. Worked for the New York Dolls, uh, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Uh, I, I went to shows as a kid that Night Bob mixed it was, it was an honor for me to work with him and i was lucky him. enough to be down on the field uh at gillette for a pink floyd show um 94 96 mm-hmm. and saw six fairlight computers mm-hmm. and i said why and they said because they remix it and get it out to where it's supposed to go when it's supposed to get there. Hmm. And that was, that was my rebuttal. So why six Fairlight computers? Why, why do you need that much computer power? Um, I'm still trying to figure that one out. Okay. Why? So I, um, I was to, when I was going to put together a podcast, I was at buddy's house, buddies have kids now I'm 45. And so his daughter's in fifth grade. She was with her little girlfriends and collectively the little girls came up with a question and I found it to be a good one. My question to each of you is when did you first feel famous? Now, if you fame is not a road you choose to embark down, that's totally fine. When would be a moment in your career that you felt good about yourself? You felt you were on the right path. There was, there was something that happened that made you smile ear to ear, some sort of catalyst. What would what moment would each of you choose? Um, I was working at what was then Gray Woods. Um, it was a large, it was a festival. The acts were Atari Teenage Riot, Wu Tang Clan, and um, Rage Against the Machine. It was the show that almost didn't happen. Um, Lead singer for Rage had tripped over a monitor the night before and fractured or broke his ankle. Um, The entire band, everybody else made it to Massachusetts except for him. Um, The show was, was it going to go on? Was it not going to go on? Meanwhile, there's 1,500 screaming fans that were led into the venue that will literally rage through every town they pass through if this show doesn't happen. My boss sent me out on stage with a vacuum cleaner that wasn't plugged in 
and said, vacuum the stage. And I went out there and pretended to do that. And at first the crowd went nuts. They were like, yeah, the show's going to start. They cleared all the crap off the stage. (laughs) And then I guess the people down front realized there was no cord on this vacuum cleaner. And started pelting. Make a Super Bowl joke right now, but I don't know. <laughs> started pelting me with with various objects. Yeah, I came off the funny. stage. I came off the stage. My boss looked at me. Goes, "Well, here's your 15 seconds of fame." I went, "Sure." You send the Jewish kid out as the sacrificial lamb. <laughs> but it was at that point that it was like, I don't care what I'm doing in this industry. It's not fame or fortune. Yeah, all these people see me up on this stage. I'm not the entertainer. I'm not the act. But it was that feeling of being part of something that big. Yeah. And and just being a small cog in the wheel. That was the fame to me because I made the wheel help make the wheel go round. That I completely understand. I think I totally get you. I think that's cool. Did rage go on? <laughs> um, the show started at, uh, let's see, Wu-Tang took the stage at curfew at 11 p.m. Oh. Somewhere around that. Um, Zach was finally brought in via state police escort from Logan Airport and ended up at the venue at midnight. And I don't recall the amount of fines that Great Woods had to pay to the town of Mansfield, but... <laughs> show went on the show must go on that's a good story cool what do you got for me toby uh well i don't think i'm famous i think it's um i'm i'm well known in the circle of my peers i i work with um i knew something was up when i opened a facebook page and had 5,000 friends. They were all sound engineers in about three months. So I figured that meant something. And I work all the time. Yeah. I mean, literally all the time. So I don't really have time to think about things like that much. I've had it pointed out. Um, Ariana Grande, of all people, uh, we were in um, Warner Brothers doing something and we were in her trailer waiting to do whatever it was we, we were doing. And and she pointed out that everywhere she goes, everyone knows me. And that helps her because they seem to try harder. So she goes, so obviously you've been nice to them when you were here before. And I said, well, I figured I'd be coming back and it would would help to be nice um and when i did the one of the kanye uh it was one of the fashion things we did with kanye and i got photographed next to him uh, by a bunch of people and that started a bunch of um as my son my, my son came to see a kanye show and brought two of his friends and they freaked out when they saw me and, and apparently I had been nicknamed the great ghost oh. <laughs> by the Kanye fans because they couldn't figure out. They were all guessing who I was, if I was a management guy or um, 
or what. So it became this, uh, I became a meme and this whole, and I thought that was pretty, that's pretty fine. fucking funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's pretty neat. That's pretty random. I like it. The gray ghost. What is it? it well, you it, got it the helps. silver ghost, the Rolls Royce, the silver ghost. So yeah, gray yeah. ghost. Upper class it, stuff. To me, if if you're known, if the artists know you, if they seek you out, you get paid more money. You get treated better. Right, right from the get go. The last 15, 18 years, it's pretty much been that, mm-hmm. you know, with, with a few exceptions. Um, I like the people I'm working with here lately uh, from top to bottom. Um, they, they let me smoke pot if I want to smoke pot. Um, they don't say anything. I don't do it at inappropriate times, but... If I'm learning the, the songs, I do it better if I'm stoned. Uh, and I, like I said, I don't do notes. I just immerse myself in it. Like at rehearsal now, the band plays for two and a half hours, and then I stay for at least five hours and just play with it. And we're not playing the material from the show yet. I'm just getting used to how they zig and zag and um, how they function as a band. And they've given me plenty of time to do it, so I'm using that time as as wisely as I, as I can. The the pop shows is more programming intensive. You, you're learning the material and then programming the show to happen a certain way. I like doing that, but it's boring once the the tour starts. Yeah, you know, after about two weeks, I, I don't. That's why I laughed when. We talked about watching me work. I don't really do much. And if I use digital consoles, I make it so I only use the middle of the console. If they're like the SD7 has three bays, I only really use the middle. Um, uh, some of them I'll use just the left side. I don't use the whole console. I usually program it so I can pull stuff up at wherever I'm sitting when I need it. Um, and and do that um i'm looking to do things more spontaneous now that's why i like the kanye stuff it's no matter how much we rehearse it it's totally different when the when the show starts and you I'm really writing notes as you say this Toby. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, how many years have you toured with him with kanye yeah Ooh. since the Jesus tour i took over the Jesus tour after the third show, uh, they made a change. I went out there. Honestly, ML Procise was, was still alive, and, and at Claire, he called me. I was on a break with Matchbox 20, and I went. Um, they weren't happy with how it sounded. Um, so I went to straighten it out, which took, took a couple days. We had to physically alter things a bit which which we did um and i've been there mostly ever since i i don't always do the shows like the stuff he's doing uh on the 22nd of this month i'm not i'm involved in it but i'm not going to do the show mm-hmm. um it basically comes down to avail availability but he involves me in a lot of the stuff as a consultant or 
a lot of it happens in a spontaneous manner. So do you Sometimes, have acts that you'll you'll take over another act because of the history that you have with them already? Uh, well, like with, with Kanye, ML was concerned with the company getting fired. And he asked me to try to save it while they looked for an engineer. After I fixed things, uh, Kanye called me in the dressing room and uh, thanked me for what I had done, hmm. uh, took note of what I had had done, laughed about it, was uh, um, couldn't have been nicer. And then basically had one of his management guys, he told me to go with the manager and he would compel me to, to stay, which which he did. Um, and then he's done. Uh, we've done a lot of stuff that's never been aired. Um, oh. We've done whole tour. Uh, we did one round of tour rehearsal. We scrapped the whole thing. Oh. Uh, we still did the tour. We just threw that seven million dollars set away uh, and went in a different direction, which means that week was pretty busy. Um, there's a core what do they do team. With the set? Who knows? You know, I went to production storage group. Yeah. To pull, I had a console stored there, and uh, I went to, to pull it out and saw some of the stuff from that event that's still stored there. Uh, I tell you, it's amazing to see the amount of stuff that has been generated, uh, like with Katy Perry. On the last tour, I believe there were four sets built. One we used for the main tour, one we used for the promo tour, and two we used for corporate shows and private shows. So we used each one of those sets like three or four times. Uh, and we had four different shows done according to which thing we were doing. Uh, we had to learn it from top to bottom. So we rehearsed for like three months. And then each time we would use a new set, we would do another rehearsal on that set to get used to whatever the elements are. She likes props. Mm -hmm. So there's usually tons of props and set pieces and moving set pieces. And um, that's more of a, a theater type production. Mm -hmm. She operates it's very Broadway. Like uh, that's another thing I try to do is, is however the artist works, I, try to be a chameleon and blend in and do it however they're used to doing it. Um, I don't like to play music through the PA during the day. Mm -hmm. uh, the tours I'm on, we generally tune the PA really fast, like in 10 minutes or less. And then it's quiet all day. I don't like sound checks. I don't find them to be productive mm -hmm. at all, on a, especially on a pop tour. Um, and it just throws the timing of the day off if we don't check. So if I have any say in it, I usually say after the first week or two that we suspend all of that stuff. Um, the minute we start making it, it works the same. Basically, I'll change stuff for the sound check, and then the show starts. I put it exactly back where it had been. That's usually where we stop doing, doing sound checks. What's your go-to music for soundcheck? Oh, for tuning the PA? Yeah. I don't tune the PA anymore. I have the systems engineer do it. 
and he, like Katie, not Katie, Ari, Ari's band liked the sound check, but I only went to sound check if she was there, uh, which she doesn't like the sound check. So I didn't really participate. And where I work for Claire too, I have a pretty busy phone day, Monday through Friday. Um, yeah. I'm usually seen pacing around the arena in a circle while setup is going on. Yeah, good stuff. Well, I've been trying to lab. Try, I don't know what else to ask because I had a buddy who's trying to log on right now to surprise you, but he's on the phone with his boss. <laughs> so let me see where he's at because I was like, I don't know what else to ask. Toby, your daughter and uh, your daughter and my daughter are about the same age. I think we talked about that when you were here with Katie and, yep. uh, and she's like, does Toby's daughter realize who her dad is? Because like I, when I, I, I ran production, uh, I was security for Ed Sharon when he came to Boston, I was his security mm-hmm. driver and uh, Ed was sitting in the back seat. And he wanted to grab my phone and FaceTime my daughter and blow her mind, but she was in school. So does, does she have any idea? Um, I know your grandson doesn't yet. <laughs> well, actually, he, he, my grandson came to a show, a ZZ Top show, and saw Elwood play. And was really uh, wow. kind of, and his dad's in a band too. My, my son's in a band, so. My grandson's been around it his whole his whole life, all, his whole life, all four years of his. Your son's his in a life. band. Was it your son? You My, yeah, he's got a band called Soft Kill, S O F T K I L L. It's a um, band from Portland, Oregon. Uh, it's doing really well. He actually did really well during the pandemic. He's kind of one. Right. Of he if released get, a record. When they get signed, are you going to go out and mix for them? He doesn't want to get signed. Really? Um, he was signed. He got out of the deal. That's why he's making money. <laughs> yeah. You don't, you don't you don't make money with record deals anymore. Nope, if you're, not anymore. Yeah. Now he self-released his last record and sold, I think, eighty-eight hundred physical copies on vinyl. Did you uh, have you mixed his band? I have. We did a uh, live stream that I recorded and mixed that also was released as, as oh, a record. Have been amazing. Uh, well, you know what was, was neat was when I mixed it and I did it really fast. I only had two days to turn it around and I did it in a hotel in Portland. Um, listening to the words, I, when I was cleaning the vocals up in Pro Tools, I really, for the first time, took the time to listen to uh, the words, the meaning. I was blown away. It gave me a, I actually became a fan of his band, a true fan by mixing it, where I had kind of been a fan just because he's my son. Yeah. Before. Um, but no, he's got uh, uh, Rob Snap produced his new record that's coming out next. He's. Yeah, I mean he's getting hundreds of thousands of streams daily. Uh, they're they're um, well, like I said, during the pandemic, he did better. He made more money than I did. 
2020 and 21. Uh, yeah, good for him. It's a tough road. You know, with the, with the book, it was people saying, did you get a publishing deal? And I didn't look. <clears throat> then what are they going to do for you now? I mean, if you want to be proactive, you can get a lot of exposure yourself. So well, what's the record label going to do? Yeah, what's the publishing company going to do? The minute he took it all back, his merch sales quadrupled, which means he was making that money. Well, that means shenanigans were going on. Something. Mm -hmm. Doesn't it just automatically skyrocket like that? And the same with he got all of his masters back. Uh, He's releasing his back catalog. All that stuff sells well. He's living well off of his music. Finally, and I, my input mainly was just advising him what not to do, you know, because I don't, I don't deal with record labels the way he does. I don't um, deal with the, the whole process that a young band would, would deal with. But being a Frank Zappa fan, I knew what Frank had done and how he had done it. So I just told him, do what Frank did. Start your own label, start your own merch company. And it literally, it all came together early 2020. And he's doing really well. And, and honestly, his stuff's awesome. I mean, he really, the, um, even the, now that I've gone back and listened to the, I've taken the time to listen to all the stuff in, in detail. I'm, I'm blown away. He, he had a, good a lot. Feeling. Uh, I respect him as an artist. Uh, Elwood and I, like when his last record came out and Elwood, Elwood called me and he goes, man, that little shit. He had this in him the whole time, you know? And, <laughs> and then we both went back and listened to the older stuff and then had another talk about it. It's like, wow, he was so much deeper than we gave him credit for. Um, he, Elwood was a big influence to him because he gave him his first guitar he gave him his his first amp um he always went out of his way to to help him uh as he was figuring out what he wanted to to do in music and we both tried to get him to to come on the road as as a roadie and he didn't want anything to do with it um he came out of the mars volta he did uh about three months with the mars volta as a pa tech uh, didn't much care for being on the road. Of course, when he's on stage, you'll go on the road and that somehow that's okay. <laughs> um, and I went to see him for the first time um, in 2017. He was playing in London and I just happened to be in London and surprised him at the show. And uh, it took him a minute to acknowledge. At first, he told me later, he goes, yeah, I looked up there and there's this old English dude that looked just like my dad. And, uh, and then he goes, and then I think, wow, he's got a shirt just like my dad's shirt. Uh, <laughs> uh, but that actually, that was the night of the, uh, the bombing, the Manchester bombing with our, because oh. we, after the show, we went out to eat. He played, he came on stage at 10 o'clock. And we went to have uh, fish and chips. Mm-hmm. And during that dinner, I got the first call um, from Simon Thomas that 
a bomb had just gone off and you could hear the pandemonium and in the background and we did a, a Katy Perry promo show the next day and uh, they had already decided, Scooter Braun decided to do a, a charity show to benefit the, um, the victims. And part of it was to get Ari, uh, Ari just fell to pieces um, as you could imagine. Yeah. And uh, she flew back to Miami to, to sit in her room that she grew up in. She was like, that's shaking up. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty. Well, right, right. Well, you know, twenty-seven people that that came to see her were were killed. She felt horribly responsible uh, for for them being there, and and it kind of tainted the whole dream she had had of becoming who she's become. And uh, the charity show gave her incentive to to come back and and do it. Which uh, I think if we hadn't. I don't think she necessarily would have come back at all. Um, really? Is it? Oh, well, yeah, it was. <clears throat> well, the, the first the rehearsal day before the show, because I had left the tour early to start Katie's tour. Um, and Simon Thomas had taken over for me. Um, and when I saw her, she ran across the field and gave me a big hug and started crying. Uh oh. And just saying it's, it's awful and this this the senseless nature of it was hard for any of us to, to process yeah you know that uh and all i could think of is uh i like mixing her show because she puts her audience in a trance they are totally uh immersed in her voice the tonality of her voice like that her true fans which are young girls and it's emotional for them they have an emotional attachment to her she has an emotional attachment to them it's a really neat thing to be part of to mm -hmm. feel that energy when, when there's that much admiration in the air and it's mutual it's it's coming back from the stage katie's the same way katie's fans are absolutely in love with everything about her and she with them so there, there's a tight bond and, and connection there uh, that I didn't get so much with the hard, hard rock bands that I've, I've worked for. Um, pop music's more interesting to mix often. Like there's usually twice as many inputs or more. There's a lot of little subtleties. Uh, there's an expectation you're trying to match the quality of the record, um, the overall sound of the record. Um, there's an attention for detail there from the fans. Everything has to be exactly right, or they will they will say something. They come up and thank me. Uh, they call me Mister, which is which is oh yeah, <laughs> uh, or Sir. But they're thankful for having the experience that they've they've had. Um, Kanye stuff. The people leave there just when he's on. It's incredible the level of a performance he can put on and what that does to his his fans. I think he's truly one of the greatest living entertainers in the world um, when he's on. Yeah, and he's focused and. Um, um, and I respect all of them. I, I like 
being part of them realizing their vision, you know, playing a role in that. I like when they give me that role to play, you know, and give me a little bit of direction. And then I'm usually pretty good at, at delivering whatever, whatever that is. Cause I've literally done this 5,000 times or more, probably five, 6,000 times. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I do, well, you know what, up until the last, <clears throat> the last year I did the fewest shows I've ever done. 2020 was, was a, a light year. Uh, 2019, I did 110 shows. Uh, before that, it's usually about 200, 180 to 200 shows every year. And I has used Clear to have, Brothers, Has Clear Brothers uh, hit you up to say, can we clone you? We want like 50 uh, movies? Well, yeah, we've actually had that conversation. Um, I've identified some people within the company's ranks that I've helped mentor that have become mixers that are uh, one in particular is the guy that took over Kanye is he's, he's going to be, uh, he will surpass me within the next couple of years. And he's like 30, no. 35 years old. No, no, his, he's, his skill level is phenomenal. Uh, he, on, on the last, I went to change something once and he slapped my hand and I looked at him and he kind of gave me one. <laughs> no. And then I thought about it. I went, you know what? He, he's right. Um, wow. Well, he, that, no. that, that's a case of the, of the, the teacher, the students surpassing the teacher. Well, he's also been the systems engineer for uh, some of the other, truly some of the best names, you know, best mixers. So he's, he's gained a little bit from everybody. I was the one that just helped him turn that into a, a mixing career, which is so far going, going great. There's others I'm, like I said, I'm working with um, to try to make as close to, cause, cause I am, I'm 63. Mm-hmm. So I'm, you know, we'll only be able to do this so much longer. Um, yeah, but then you'll get to hang out in Hawaii more. <laughs> well, that, that's and, the whole and, idea. And Gwen would, Gwen would like to have you home, I'm sure, a lot more than you have been. Well, she she works a lot, too. She's, she's an accountant, a production accountant that does movies. So she's doing a Peter Pan movie now remotely. Um, so she's, she's also somebody that works all the time. No. Uh, and she's talked about maybe becoming a... Uh, to accountant because it's it's very similar to what she's she's been doing um but she i've been lucky enough to take her with me like the last re tour they let me bring her for the whole tour oh wow uh, we had, well we had just got married i basically tried to get out of it and they asked me why and, and i go like she's on the bus you guys cruise on the bus or yeah and we traveled separate well Ari doesn't like we don't do overnighters. No. Oh. If we do an overnighter, it's in the same building. Okay. You know? And and we don't do more than two shows in a row ever. And it, so it's about three shows a week. And then every two weeks, she gives her voice four days off. So uh, we nice went to, in Europe. We spent twenty two days in Amsterdam. 
partly with the tour and then like the four day off thing, we just went on our own to Amsterdam. We traveled mostly separately on that. We flew separately um, because of the schedule or took trains. And Gwen had lived in Europe uh, a couple of times. So she's got a lot of friends there. So we did a lot of visiting and um, and where I only do the show. So there's about six hours a week of work. So there was a lot of time to uh, go exploring. And she, she took me to some cool places I'd never been to in Europe. And I took her to some of my favorite, wow. favorite spots. Very romantic, Toby. And we did uh, Travis Scott. Too. Travis let me bring her. Because um, I wasn't supposed to be there. Someone else was supposed to do the tour. I came out to rescue it and ended up staying. Uh, Pooch took it over and then the two of us alternated uh, throughout. But anytime I was there, Gwen, Gwen would go with me. And she knows all of them, the whole entourage. She, uh, it, I've taken her enough that she's got her own friends, like uh, the Migos. I've done a bunch of one-offs with uh, Quavo, mainly. And uh, their DJ, Durrell, she's become friends with. And he... Uh, um, taught her how to roll blunts. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, but uh, I just got a message that my grandson is watching my podcast. Oh, uh, it wouldn't be this one because we're not live. I guess. Uh, no, I'm not saying some other. Oh, some, something else. Uh, another, I think probably the one I did with Pooch and Tater. Uh, I watched a little bit of it. Yeah. But I guess he's discovered that it. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't have worked with him because he did what you did. But did you ever know Davy Kirkwood? I, I did know Davy, uh, and I spent time with him on the festival circuit, like the European festival circuit. There'd be ten or twelve bands, and we'd all get to know each other from hanging out. And uh, yeah, he, I loved him. He was a delightful <laughs> guy. To, he was great. <laughs> he was. And we've great. lost so many, like uh, Big Shirt. Um, God, what was Shirt's real name? Dave. I don't know him. He makes Slipknot. An unbelievably good mixer. I, I think one of the best metal mixers um, going. I got to know him real well before he passed away. Um, yeah, we've lost a lot. There's a lot of the the older guy. Trip Caliph has retired. Dave Cobb retired. Um I don't know how much longer Howard Page will go. I think Howard's in his mid-70s now and still mixing Sting. Um, it's hard to let go of. Yeah. You know, it's hard to know you're never going to have that feeling again because it's like when the lights go out and the, the energy level rises and you push that first button, <laughs> you know, and then the energy level gets higher and higher and it's, it's, it's hard to know that you're not going to feel that anymore. Yeah. Even if you've done it thousands of times, it's still, it's you. I mean, I've literally over 5,000 times and I still get uh, just as excited when the show starts as, as I ever did. That's great. Well, guys, I really do appreciate your time. Thank you for it. Okay. And I look forward to talking to you guys. Both Thanks for having us.
Yeah, man, for sure. We'll do it again soon. So. Right, cool. Thanks for watching. Don't forget to like and subscribe by clicking the round button on the bottom right. To learn more about me or the guests on the show, go to joelrody.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. The handle's Joel Rody. And don't forget, when you party like a rock star, don't be a dick.
it was usually I look at pizza 